0: This very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollimore is brought to you by Statesmith.com, as well as our generous family of supporters on Patreon.com. If you, too, would like to support the show, helping us move the conversation forward episode by episode, visit Dollimore.com Patreon. Welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. This very special local bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host as always, Jesse Dollamore. And seated around an oval table, the Brain Trust, I am joined by my lovely and talented scholarly co-host, as always, Brittany Page.
1: With a minor cold.
0: That is true. Yeah. Minor. Yeah. But a minor cold for you is like catastrophe.
1: I think... I think I'm perfectly fine. I mean, everyone here, they're not seeing that. Also,
0: well, they're... How dare you? Everyone
1: lies. All right.
0: <laughs> also joined by my co-founder of Statesmith.com, Drew Levine. Hello. It's good to be here. Hello is always <laughs> what Drew says. Yeah, well. Also joining us, very special guests, first time to the podcast, former congressional candidate for the 48th District of California, formerly running against the scourge of the Congress, Dana Rohrabacher, Laura Opman. <laughs>
2: Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: We are thrilled to have you here. And guest of honor, second time on the show. Returning. We, we only have a few second time guests.
1: Yes.
3: <laughs> I'm hoping to host it someday.
1: <laughs> out. <Uh-oh>. Get out. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Harley Ruda. Glad to be here. Thank you, Jesse. We we
0: wanted to have you you both back in because the race is really heating up. Yeah. And there has been uh, we get a lot of questions. We are a national and international news type of show, but we've had a lot of questions recently because of the the I don't want to say controversy or consternation, but let's let's say controversy. <laughs> Surrounding our particular race here in the 48th District of California, Dana Rohrabacher being, it's I don't think it's a stretch to say that he is Putin's favorite congressman. He has more alignment to Russia and all that's been going on than really anybody else. I mean, he's likely going to be called, in my estimation, in to talk to Robert Mueller. But before we get all into all of that, that I mean, that would explain a little bit of the fact that this is a national race not just a local politics issue. But there's a lot of questions right now about the race. Laura, you just recently dropped out of the race and endorsed Harley. And there's there's a lot of a lot of talk in the Democratic. I'm trying to really be not as Jesse D as Jesse D is normally Jesse D. We can tell. We can <laughs> so, tell. Uh, I'm not good at really choosing my words. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're doing a great job.
0: In the right I think you're doing pretty well, actually. So there are still many candidates in the race, and you chose, Laura, to, to drop out of the race and endorse Harley. Um, I want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about the endor- the weird state endorsement, the state party endorsing candidates in primary when there is, I mean, how many are left still running? How many democratic opponents do you have, Harley?
3: We have 6 additional opponents.
0: And California has a weird primary system where it's top 2. Right. So there are multiple Republicans running in this race right now, and if the two top Republicans get all the get the preponderance of the vote, we'll have two Republicans running against each other in the general election and no Democrats. That's a problem.
3: That's a possibility.
0: That that would ensure almost a re-election of Dana Rohrabacher. So uh, before I run off the rails here and get real deep in the weeds in my own head, what happened at the convention relative to that that that, uh, that endorsement system?
3: Uh, He's looking at you, Harley. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it was an interesting process in the sense that uh, what most people don't realize is that the California Democratic Party has an endorsement process for all candidates across the state. In the case of the 48th District for Congress against Dana Rohrabacher, there were 39 delegates that voted on who they wanted to endorse on behalf of 130,000 registered Democrats. Of those 39 delegates, if somebody could get 24, that's it, only 24 people to say, yes, this is our person, that they would get the endorsement at the expense of the other candidates, as well as the other 130,000 registered Democrats. And that's what happened here. We had a situation where uh, one of the candidates uh, worked that delegate process. He also worked the delegate process by having people on his campaign, including including paid staffers that were delegates. Hmm. And for those delegates who could not make it, their proxies were given out to somebody else guess who gave out the proxies and Uh, the yes wow yeah so when you when you see what transpired you can understand why it was a, a difficult situation for the other candidates and i'd add to me the most amazing thing is that we each candidate had the opportunity prior to the vote being taken to stand up and speak for approximately two minutes every single candidate with the exception of Hans Kirstead, who was hoping to get the endorsement, stood up unified together, shoulder to shoulder, asking these delegates not to make an endorsement, to do what's called a no endorsement, Mm -hmm. recognizing that the people should Mm -hmm. have the decision here, not 24 delegates. And nevertheless, it went forward. And the last thing I'll share with this for part of our frustration in our campaign, at that time we were the leading campaign in every major metric from money raised to cash on hand to number of endorsements to number of volunteers. And many of these delegates not only wouldn't return my call, they wouldn't even meet with me. And
0: Prior to convention prior or to
3: Prior to the convention. Wow. And here they've taken a, a pledge to yeah. do just that. So mm-hmm. it was frustrating to say the least.
2: Yeah, I was going to say too, um, oftentimes you'll hear, well, Hans worked his delegates, you know, much better than the rest of us. Well, I was one of those candidates as well. You had to purchase this list of delegates. It didn't include cell phone numbers or no, it included phone numbers but not email addresses. Mm-hmm. And some of those ho- th- those phone numbers were home phones. So it would go to an answering machine and you could tell it was a home phone. Yeah, yeah. They probably never listened to that message. Some were office numbers and it would be intercepted by their admin who would say, yes, he'll, oh, he's in a meeting right now. He'll get back to you later. So of that list of 40, I would say there were at least... 10 of them that I never had the opportunity to speak with personally. Wow. And of course, you don't really have a picture. Some of them, you know, some of them I could find on Facebook. So I could kind of figure out who they were and what they looked like. But some are not on Facebook. So I had no idea who these people were. But
0: like how'd you really, get to the convention to look for them? Right, yeah. right.
2: So that, that was the other kind of difficult piece. They certainly don't make it easy for candidates running for office to reach out to these delegates. They make it, in fact pretty difficult
0: well also look the i think it should it, it goes unsaid that the, it seems like a problematic situation when someone who's working for the campaign or it's so closely connected is a delegate and then that person or persons having the ability to assign proxies for other uh, that's just look the democrat from a messaging standpoint right now and i i am a democrat the Democratic Party, both nationally and it seems in, as, from a statewide basis, has a, a messaging, an optics problem on their hands as far as transparency is concerned. And this doesn't go a long way toward alleviating that.
4: Well, it, it se- sort of seems to me like this sort of created the perfect storm, right? Because I don't know if we've ever been in a situation where we have our weird sort of top two primary system where there was a real credible threat in California of having two Republicans end up as the nominees in a race that should be competitive for Democrats. And so this process creates a danger where if the local party gets involved in such a way and, I guess, sort of picks the wrong pony, you create a situation where it, it seems to me like you really undercut the Democratic Party's uh, chances on the national stage. Um, a lot of it seemed to me like they had... And I've, I've spoken to a few of these delegates, and uh, some have sort of said to me privately that, that they felt a little pressured to make a choice early on because of what the local party wanted. And one even expressed to me that he uh, came to sort of regret that decision later on. So it's uh, it seems to me like I understand the rationale for having a an endorsement process because there have been times where you may have wanted to sort of weed out uh, less credible candidates. Sure. But in this situation, it seemed to me like it functioned the exact worst way that it possibly could have.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, I would add to that, that shortly after that process, uh, the entire Democratic congressional delegation attached to Orange County came out and endorsed our campaign. And I don't think there could be a clearer message uh, from the members of Congress who they want to serve in Washington, D.C. with them. And who they don't want to serve in Washington, D.C. with them. Yeah. So clearly they did not put much stock in the endorsement of the 24 individuals.
0: Well, in a lot of ways, that that is an important distinction to make, too. Because I don't know what, again, I'm going to try to be less Jesse D. than Jesse D. is usually being. But some of the other candidates in this race, it appears to me or seems to me, don't understand what your role is when you get to Congress as a freshman congressman you're a big deal because you're a congressman but for the first year you're there the cops are gonna can i see your id can you prove they don't know who you are you're and the same goes for you're working hand in hand with the members of the delegation for your state so it's you're not running up there rooting and tooting and calling the shots you have to be a team player with both the party but also the other
4: delegates to um the local the local um districts. And the root and tootin' people like Ted Cruz end up being very unpopular. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. So I just I don't want to dwell on it, but I just wanted to talk
0: about that a little bit because we get asked questions a lot about it. We see a lot of it action on the Indivisible 48 uh, Facebook page. And I wanted to, to to talk to you guys about it. So,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's good to talk about it. But from our perspective, it's onward and upward, absolutely. And and we are going to march to victory for both the June fifth primary and the general in November.
0: I am thrilled to hear you say that. That it, you, we we can't continue to look in the past and look, whine and snivel about whatever may have happened, or uh, we have to look at the future. We, this race, this race is too important. Right. To let it fall it back into Dana Warbacker's hands. Yeah, right. I'm so getting a little. Well, <laughs> I'm getting rooting too. Yeah. <laughs> One thing
4: forward looking is what distinguishes us from the opposition. I mean, this is this is what the Democratic Party is about, and mm-hmm. so I really, I'm also very glad to hear you say that. And I think that that's the only way to handle a situation like this.
1: And I think that's also what prompted you right? To drop out of the race and get behind Harley. Can mm-hmm. you talk about what inspired you to do that? And how soon after maybe this uh, yeah. convention, you decided to do that?
2: I would love to. Yeah. Just um, building on what Drew had said about it being the perfect storm. It really was the perfect storm that first those first 10 days in March, really, mm-hmm. um, just post um, endorsement conference. And then a couple of things happened. Um, well, I should back up. All of us candidates were asked at one point or other, I think it was actually in early January, if we would drop out of the race, if we had less than 20% approval um, within the Democratic Party, 10% approval 10% approval overall. Um, we all raised our hands and said, yes, we're going to drop out of the race if if we have no chance at victory. Um, then there was no poll, no poll taken. Uh, there was nothing to share with these eight candidates at that mm. point. There was a poll done the week of March 9th when we were coming up to that filing deadline. I think it was like the 6th through the 8th or something ridiculously close to the wire. So about two we're-
1: months after you guys raised your hands.
2: Yeah. Okay. Two months after. So there were two months where somebody in the Dem- the DCCC, the DNC, the local Democratic Party could have initiated some sort of a third party independent poll mm-hmm. that would have allowed us to at least figure out who those people are, where we're all standing, and perhaps have some of those candidates drop. Never happened until the week of. And in fact, I didn't see the poll until after the filing deadline. Also, the filing deadline, the ninth, was when Scott Baugh jumped into the race. So- Everything shifted at that who, point. Who is,
0: um, for the edification of our national and international audience, is a local Republican. Yes, who entered the race recently uh, to primary Harley. Yes, or, I'm, I'm sorry, Dana.
2: Dana. Yes. So suddenly, the it was a completely different race, a yeah. completely different race, and so. I realized that with eight candidates running, we are going to split the vote way too many ways. Um, I knew that the first poll that had been done um, that was purely based on name recognition, that Dana Rohrabacher was in number one position, Harley and I were number tied for second place, and then um, Scott Baugh and Hans Kirstead were tied in third, and then on down. But none of everybody else, if they had stood on principle and done what they had agreed to do, truly the only Candidates that should have been in the race would have been Harley and myself, Mm -hmm, based on pure grassroots, um, just passion and energy and name recognition and all of the above. Didn't happen. So I decided that I needed to do what I needed to do. And I decided that I had to choose who was the strongest candidate in this race. And I knew after campaigning alongside this man for a year, that he is not, not only the strongest candidate but the man with the best heart in this race. And I was very proud to endorse Harley Ruda. So I decided if I can just get all of my people to come with me, if we can build this giant grassroots army, which is what we need to defeat Dana Rohrabacher, then we can combine forces and we can work together and we can win this thing. We really can because we have the energy and the passion behind our campaigns, not so much the endorsed candidate.
0: I'm sure that it's been, I'm sure that there's been lots of conversations between the two of you. Um, but I want to say from, as a voter, as a, as a, it's a as, as a constituent, Brittany and I both, of Dana, or of of Dana Warbacher, um and a voter in this district, it is noble and awesome, selfless, beautiful what you did. Because any other person, look at the people who are still in the race who really don't, stand a chance. You were leading mm-hmm. one of the leading candidates in the race and you, and you, you dropped and endorsed Harley. That is... I mean, seriously, it's you incredible. don't see that kind of selflessness in politics often. And it is...
2: Uh, it's remarkable and
0: it needs to be celebrated.
4: It needs to be... So thank, thank you. Thank well, you. And it's awesome. Thank you. And most people don't uh, recognize how much work you do and how much work you've done to get to this point. Like, how many... You know, shameless hours you had to spend on the phone asking people for donations which is I know that's not a fun thing to do <laughs> yeah. also there's a lot of ugly yeah. babies to kiss <laughs> <laughs>
2: there's no such thing as an ugly baby
4: <laughs> so having, having done all that work and having expended this much energy to get you to this point and then making this decision for the greater good and for the party and for really for decency and, and for the future um, thank you so much for being you
3: You're welcome. Thank you. And and if I could say this, too, because when we got together to talk about this, everyone needs to recognize Laura and I got into this race about the same time. And it was well over a year ago and approximately a year ago. And when we got into this race, this is shortly after Dana had won again, uh, won by a significant margin. We did not do polling. We did not see if we could win. Both of us, for our respective reasons, got into this race because we believed it was the right thing to do for the greater good. And I know firsthand what Laura has gone through for the last year. And any candidate that you work for a year, you put your heart and soul into this, you are doing this obviously for free. You're doing this for the greater good. And you have a lot of people who are relying on you, who are behind you, who are giving their support for what you are trying to accomplish and to make that decision to step out is a, an incredibly difficult decision. I can only imagine for, for what Laura mm-hmm. went through. And when we got together, uh, you know, candidly, we both shed a tear and, yeah. um, uh, cause I know the amount of hard work she has put in. I know how she has really energized so many other people in this race to be involved and get out there and make sure they vote. So, um, her hard work is is going to pay huge dividends for the Democratic Party going forward. And equally important, she's committed to even doing more hard work. And uh, and 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 every day, I have lots of emails from Laura telling me um, uh, all the great things she's working on. And we are thrilled to have her and yeah, our yeah. volunteer base. And I mean that with sincerity. <laughs> but it's good to have another another set of hands on on deck.
0: Well, listen, if there's another office that you end up running for. Um, i'll tell you right now preemptively you've got my support because I know your your heart is in the right place and i have I worked on Capitol Hill for the United States Senate for years uh i've worked on campaigns and it is it, it's just rare it's it's not a common thing, not even in politics just in humanity to be as self it's look it's selfless it's it's it is selfless it's Damn. there's loyalty and honor and dignity and okay, okay, okay. Is, awesome. Okay okay, 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 okay. I I am <laughs> shocked by it. I it's no. it's beautiful.
2: Well, I guess you know, I watched the movie Gladiator one too many times with my boys. <laughs> Are
4: and you I not
3: remember. No, right? And
2: remember the scene when, you know, basically the gladiators. And and I was also very moved by our whole sort of uh, unity at the convention of all the other candidates yeah. standing together. And that idea of unity, unity is really what I'm all about, period. That's just who I am in my, the core of my being. And instead of the eight of us standing in a circle, you know, shooting at each other and hacking at each other, like in the movie Gladiator, right? They stood in a circle back to back and they yeah. locked arms... At, facing outward at the at the danger rather than in at each other and that's what we need to do i wish i could get the rest of those folks the rest of our esteemed candidates to join us in this fight because this is way bigger than any one yeah. of us we need to lock arms in a circle facing out not facing at each other but facing mm-hmm. outwards and and fight for this seat for all we're worth cuz our lives depend on it yeah. seriously
0: well, let's, 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 let's talk about that a little bit. There, there are very real issues facing our nation. This is a national office. I mean, you're representing the, the three hundred to 500,000 people in, in the 48th district. Um, but there are, right now more than ever, we are facing uh, issues that are some existential and some that we are on the precipice of maybe, maybe making some, some difference on. Let's talk about guns, for one. Um, right now with the unbelievable massacre of 17 kids and educators in Stoneman Douglas High School, I think we're finally at a place where these kids have stood up and people are listening and uh sorry <clears throat> and I think that we are in a position to actually do something, not with someone like Dana Warbacker he's he's going to stand by and allow this to continue to happen take money from the NRA and we need someone and i believe you are that person harley to to go in there and uh, and join the other members of the democratic party and reasonable republicans who are willing to put forth sensible gun legislation into place to stop the this senseless violence and the killing of innocent children. I mean, this isn't like gang violence. This is, this, this is mass murder that there is a solution to. Where, where, where are you with, with guns?
3: I often think of Justice Scalia, you know, that really wild liberal justice we used to have. <laughs> um, uh, God rest in peace. But he had a brilliant mind. But one of the things Justice Scalia said that all of us should, should remember in a very important case, he talked about how the rights under the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and, and, and so on are limited rights. They're not absolute rights. So while you have a right to bear arms under the Second Amendment, it is not an absolute right to carry any gun anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. So common sense gun legislation to prevent gun violence makes sense. Only in the United States would you have a situation that since 1968, there have been more deaths by gun violence in the the country than all deaths on battlefields back to the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Could you imagine if there was anything remotely like this in any other area, whether it was manufacturing of cars or something to do with uh, children, that we wouldn't have addressed this by now? So we need to address it. And how do we address it? It's really putting forth common sense legislation to reduce the possibility of gun violence. And there's common ground among both Republicans and Democrats to do just that, whether it is implementing uh, waiting day periods, 10-day waiting periods, having a national database of uh, gun purchases and ownership by closing the gun show loophole. There's, again, common ground for that. There's common ground for eliminating uh, the ability for those on the no-fly list to be able to purchase guns, for those who are mentally challenged to be able to purchase guns. There is support, again, majority, for both Republicans and Democrats to prevent high-capacity magazines and assault rifles, automatic assault rifles, being available in public. So let's find where the common ground is, and let's pass common sense legislation that we can all agree on.
0: Yeah, I'm it is shocking to me that it is 2018 and we have a system where the NRA and the power that they have that they've cultivated over the course of the last 50 or 60 years has allowed them to lobby the government, lobby the congress to make it illegal for the ATF to have computer records of of re- the registration of guns. It's all paper. That is that is insanity to find.
3: It's Byzantine. Mm-hmm.
0: It, it, it's 2018. When am I going to be able to not say, "Hey, it's 2018 anymore"?
3: And people need to realize the, the NRA was more of a a membership of sportsmen and women. Back until I think it was the late '70s or early '80s when a coup d'état took place within the NRA that really moved it to this radical position. Sure, and, and and it is a radical position. It is radical, and 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 what these young adults are doing that is 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 so fantastic. They're they're bringing attention to this, and somebody tweeted out, and I don't remember who it was, but it's one of my favorite tweets of, of within the last few months, and said, "Only in the United States could you have." young high school students acting like the leaders of the free world right. while the leader of the free world acts like he's in high school. Right. Yeah. So we we need to embrace this movement. We need to get common sense legislation in place. And for those who aren't willing to support that common legis common sense legislation or are willing to take money from the NRA we need to vote them out. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, one of the things that's so amazing to me about the NRA is that one of the premises that it has to sell to its member base in order to encourage these gun sales, especially for the most dangerous weapons like the AR-15s and other assault-type rifles or uh, the, the ones that do the most damage, is they've sort of convinced people and, and people sort of uh, adopted this idea that the only way to sort of preserve democracy is at gunpoint. And it's just... It, it seems to me like we just have to recognize that propaganda for what it is and that this is an invention specifically to create or to create gun sales. And so thank you for taking your position against the NRA and, and being like very explicit in calling that out because I think we do need more of that. And the Parkland uh, kids have been leading the way. And I hope that more people sort of join with them in that unified chorus. Yeah.
2: Yeah and a lot of those kids are voting this time for the first time so they're going to be voting these these NRA backed candidates out hopefully right yeah
0: well it's it, it is a criticism that i hear i see online of you, Brittany, you were pointing out a, a, a comment somebody made today or the other day.
1: Yeah, about you uh, being a former Republican and having voted for George W. Bush, and how can we trust you? That's what the comment said. Um, but <laughs> but it's interesting because Jesse is also a former Republican, um, and you registered in the Democratic Party um, after the election of Donald Trump. And there's kind of this strange phenomenon where people don't believe people can change (laughs) or come around on their positions when things happen. Um, So how do you talk to voters about that when they express that concern?
3: Well, usually I tell them that you're political affiliation and your religious affiliation are given to you at birth based on the home you are born into. Right, it's true. For sure. They're often and, related too. Yeah. So if you're born into a, a Republican Christian household, you're probably not at age five or six holding your hand up and telling mom and dad that you're feeling more Jewish than Christian. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're raised in that atmosphere, and I was raised um, by two parents that were Republican. And uh, when I was 18 years old in 1980, I voted for Ronald Reagan, mm-hmm. and 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 I and I really liked and believed in Ronald Reagan at that point. I also recognize today that Ronald Reagan is very responsible for many of the uh, social ills that are still affecting our country by ripping out the safety net that was in place, but. For me, the progress was several things. One, the Republican Party tended to keep going in the wrong direction. But more importantly, uh, was my wife. Um, My wife is, you know, finally got me thinking in the right way. And, uh, (laughs) you know, towards that end, uh, I left the Republican Party in 1997. It has been 20 plus years since I left the Republican Party. Yet... There are certain candidates that I'm running against would like everyone to think that I left the Republican Party um, earlier this year. And that's just simply not the case. I've been voting for Democrats for uh, the last 20 years, I believe, in the Democratic Party's agenda. And until the Democratic Party and specific individuals within the Democratic Party, and if they're not willing to open the doors to those who have been Republicans or any other party for that matter prior to becoming a Democrat, then we are doomed. Mm-hmm. Our whole goal has to be to make sure we have a big tent that anybody can come in and that we do not have one issue litmus test for those who are running for elected positions, regardless of whether it's they were once a Republican or they stand on an issue different from you. It has to be about getting People in office elected who share in the majority your values.
0: It's, listen, if if you're not acceptable to Democrats, then how is Occupy Democrat, Jesse Dollamore, crazy, liberal, getting death threats because he's so liberal? Not. I mean, there's.
3: Well, look at it right here. We've got five people sitting around this table and three of them are former Republicans. Four, right? Four. 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 Yeah. Okay, four, four out, out of five. five.
4: Yeah, I voted for Bush twice. So, I mean, most people don't know that.
0: Yeah, and you're, you're way more liberal than me.
4: Yeah, I'm borderline socialist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> borderline. He
4: says that for the cameras and the microphone. <laughs>
0: Well, anyway, we wanted to I I definitely wanted to I think that's good to talk about because it's
1: I do think it gives more um, credence to your position if you have changed, too, because that means that you've thought about it more. I mean, rather than just being raised the way that you were raised, that's my personal position. Yeah, no, That's true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You, you It shows that you have an analytical mind to, right. to process.
2: Well, in my never-to-be-humble opinion, I believe that the Democratic Party is the party of the future. They're going forward with a lot of things on climate change, on women's rights, on LGBT rights, on a lot of things that um, are the direction of the future, just yeah. plain and simple. And the Republican Party is still wanting to hold us back to this... Fairy tale time in the past, when everything was perfect and all the families were happy, and this this vision of what America was like in the 1950s might have been good for some, but certainly not for all. Right and. I just I really firmly believe that all of us are on a path of evolution. like society is on a path of evolution, sure. and all of us are at different steps along that pathway and, and we're all just moving at different speeds and some are afraid to go down the road and they' want to go backwards and it's just it's a natural process, I believe yeah and, and I think that the Democratic Party is that party that's leading us to the future.
4: I completely agree, and I, I appreciate people that have been on both sides. Because it's not true of everybody that has only been one thing their entire life. But there are some people that have only been one thing their entire life that sort of have this perception of what people on the other side of the aisle are like, which just isn't true. In fact, uh, close to when you and I first met, uh, I spoke at one of your events that you hosted mm-hmm. about how we need to still talk to Republicans yes. and to keep that bridge open.
2: That was the first topic we yeah. did. Yeah, And
4: it's, it's just so important that we have a party that does allow people to change and evolve and to come into the fold, even if they've not been right on the issues their entire life. And it's it's irrelevant where they've been in the past and the way that they've thought about things.
3: You know, you're actually hitting a nail on the head here regarding party labels, which is one of my frustrations with both parties right now. In you know, my dad's generation, the difference between Republicans and Democrats was very small, very small indeed. In fact, If you go back to 1980 and looked at the Senate at that time, and if you looked at the most conservative Democrat and the most liberal Republican, you would have found 56 senators falling in that gap. That's what we would call moderates. Mm -hmm. Today, there hasn't been one. There hasn't been one for five years. That same time frame, they voted with their party approximately 60% of the time. Today, it's 95% of the time. We have turned Republicans and Democrats into a sporting contest. If you are a Democrat, then you hate Republicans. And if you're a Republican, you hate Democrats and unwilling to even talk and listen to the other side. I was just canvassing um, Saturday and I came to a house that was a mixed house. It was a uh, registered Democrat and a registered Republican. And I'm invited in to go sit at the kitchen table. And I come in, I sit down with my stuff and the... The husband, as soon as he found out I was a Democrat and he was the Republican of the household, <laughs> um, got up, didn't want to talk to me, didn't oh, had wow. nothing else to hear. He was done. You could tell he was even angry that I was sitting in his house at his wow. kitchen table. Mm. And then I carried on a conversation with his wife and talked a little bit. And that's the unfortunate part here, because most Americans, if we get past these labels, mm-hmm. we find that there's a lot in common mm-hmm. that if we just focus on what we agree on and work towards that we can get a lot done instead of focusing on what we don't agree on mm-hmm.
0: well i think i think the point that really needs to get um driven home for for the listeners and the viewers and just america in general is getting things done you you can't what if you try to start with your ultimate objective in mind i, I look at it from a you know being a, a veteran you you don't win a war in one fell swoop. It's battle by battle by battle, um, in, in an incremental way. And if you if we want things to be done, let's talk, you know, guns, healthcare, whatever, it has to be little by little through compromise with the other side. Because we don't have a well, we don't have a majority at all right now in either house. We need incremental change, get take the gains where we can and work with the other side to get those gains. So it's the system is not being helped by Donald Trump and the the polarization that he f- seems to thrive on and foster on a daily basis
1: every day via mm-hmm. twitter mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it's, yeah it's a big issue it's party first country second mentality and i just don't think in the uh, when, when the constitution was passed that Uh, The people in office were spending most of their time figuring out how to get elected two years later, six Mm -hmm. years later, whatever the case may be, how to keep their party in power. And uh, and the dark money from Citizens United, which is another discussion point, uh, certainly has impacted negatively how elections are held here in the U.S. Let's talk about that a little bit.
0: You are one of the candidates that I, I admire out there who have taken a pledge to, you're not taking money from the NRA. There are several corporate money, oil money, you're- you're not going to take part in that.
3: Correct. I'm taking no corporate money.
0: That's phenomenal. I mean it's it is a detriment to a campaign because raising money is unfortunately the way it works and it's it's a uh, again noble, you know, I'm mm-hmm. Mr. Praise guy today, apparently. <laughs> Very abusive here. <laughs> <laughs> but that's great. I mean it's 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 going to be a bummer as far as raising money is concerned. But uh, it is the right thing to do. It's the noble thing to do. So
3: Well, and we need campaign finance reform. And the Citizens United decision, which basically said corporations are people too, um, mm-hmm. simply is was a horrible decision. And when that decision was made in 2010, there was what we call soft money, dark money, whatever you want to call it, of approximately $150 million that came into the election system in 2010. Those justices who supported that decision said that they did not think that that decision would have much impact on dark money coming in. 2016, it was (laughs) $1.6 billion. So it's had a huge impact. And unfortunately, if we don't get our arms around it, it's going to continue to unduly influence elections at the expense of the average voter.
4: And I just think of the like the argument behind Citizens United, the idea that corporations should be able to donate unlimited m- amounts of money to political campaigns. I don't think James Madison, when he was right. drafting the Constitution, <laughs> was thinking, hmm, how can I write something into the Constitution that's going to allow large corporations of people to collectively pool their resources and to shut out all other speech by large donations? And it's just absurd that we got here. Yeah, well, it's...
0: They're, corporations are people too drew i don't know <laughs> you need to yeah. back it down there guy yeah. Yeah. and <laughs> money ridiculous.
2: is money is free speech right money equals speech money and corporations is. equal people that doesn't make that it's, was not the original intention
4: i mean as a lawyer and you know harley because you're a lawyer too but we you know there's this legal fiction about corporations being people that is useful for some context for like contracts and for you know holding people accountable in court but it it was never intended to protect, like, to give corporations free constitutional free speech rights. It's crazy. Well, do, do do they also have constitutional
0: right to bear arms? I mean, it's individual rights are for individuals.
3: Right. Well, have you guys ever been to a corporation's birthday? Have you ever been on a date with a corporation? <laughs> have you ever held hands with a corporation? I'd like to attend a few corporations' funerals. <laughs>
1: So like Jesse said, I am always trolling um, Facebook comments to, you know, just kind of get the lay of the land, see how the people are feeling. And on your awesome post when you announced that you were dropping out of the race and backing Harley, um, there were a lot of comments from women expressing disappointment, saying that they felt like this was the year that a woman would win. Um, What do you say to those women in terms of their disappointment and also uh, why they should back Harley with you?
2: Yeah. I mean, that was definitely um, a difficult, well, it was a difficult decision to make yeah. period. And I know I had a lot of support from a lot of women. Um, so that was, that was part of, of the, just the, the, the tragedy, I guess, of leaving the race, because I did feel like we need more representation in Congress. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, but What is happening here in District 48 is far bigger than identity politics, than being a woman, than being a millennial, than being a progressive, or being a centrist, or being a person of color, or being... The, The thing about the Democratic Party is, which is a beautiful thing, is we are this tapestry of people and everybody has their own issues and their own rights that they're fighting for. And as long as we are all standing in our own separate corners saying, I'm fighting for the women's rights. Well, I'm fighting for immigrants' rights. Well, I'm fighting for millennials' rights. um, We're never going to get together and be a strong enough force to knock those Republicans out who Mm -hmm. just basically stand under the banner of one thing, you know, a lot of money and power. Um, so we need to, to, to unite. So what I've decided to do, um, is the money that I have remaining in my campaign funds, which isn't a lot, but it's, it's a little bit of money there. Mm -hmm. Um, I am going to take all of my remaining funds and distribute it out to a lot of the local women that are running because the problem is not that I was a woman running for office. The problem is that I was running as a woman to Federal level, and we don't have a bench here in the Democratic Party in Orange County. And I think we need to build that up. Mm -hmm. And I would like to build that up with a lot of strong women at local levels. Um, It's state assembly, state senate, um, city council. Build up those young women. So I'm going to be distributing all of my campaign funds out. To maxing out. Um, now I'll probably get a lot of emails and phone calls now from all the women running. <laughs> Wait a minute. Where's my money? <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that, right? <laughs> <laughs> oops no but i intend to to distribute all my money out to the young women or, that's amazing or, or women or whatever women, yeah. women 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 running for office because i do feel very strongly that we need more representation so. that's beautiful yeah it,
1: it, what it, ahead, i i wanted to know too given your experience what advice would you give to women uh, across the country that may be thinking about entering a race in their home district
2: I would say go for it, mm-hmm. start now, start at whatever level you think you can start at. Maybe start at, you know, and I was told this too and I bridled at it because I just thought, oh, I don't want to start small. I'm fighting climate change, so I'm fighting at the federal level. Yeah. But I think if I had to do it over again, I would have taken a step back and a deep breath and said, okay, Maybe I should work my way up. Maybe I should allow people to get to know me. Maybe I should, you know, run for Newport Beach City Council or the school district or the water board or mm-hmm. some other local offices and certainly get involved in your community. Whatever your passion is, whether it's the environment or women's rights or whatever your your issue is, whatever it is that keeps you up at night, get deeply involved and invest a lot of your time and treasure into that particular issue. And and just do the work you don't have to be a politician or an elected official to do the work we can all do this so yeah
0: citizen government yeah absolutely noble endeavor well let's I think this has been wonderful let's let's end it with me maybe not giving more praise not gushing as much as I have been (laughs) a little over the top (laughs)
2: Are you sure you don't want to jump in and run for Congress, too, here, District 48?
0: <laughs> yeah, there, there's not enough candidates yeah. in, the, <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the running. <laughs> I was someone, someone on Instagram, I think it was the, the...
1: Black Market Bakery. Yeah, they
0: asked me, like, well, when are you running for Congress? <laughs> and I, uh, I actually plugged you. I said, oh, no, I'm, that's mm. not in the cards for me, but mm. I'm supporting. I put your little Instagram, Harley uh,
4: Ruda.
3: But you could run for office at some point. Yeah, well, yeah. well I was yeah. sort of
4: trying to get him to run for state assembly against uh, Matt Harper. This last time around, but uh, maybe
0: sometimes. I later. like the F word way too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. So let's end it there. I want to thank you guys both for coming in today. Laura, again, seriously, it it is fantastic uh, to see this kind of selflessness. And we appreciate you coming in. It's so wonderful to meet you. Harley, again, um, you've got my undying support in this race and uh, anything I can do to help you. I'm here to do it. So,
3: Well, thank you, Jesse, Brittany, and Drew. And to everyone listening out there, uh, we hope you will support our campaign by going to harley for congress F-O-R, congress.com, and joining in with your time, your talent, your treasures, because we need all the help we can get to flip the 48th. It
0: is important. All that information will be in the show notes. We appreciate you joining us you'd like to sound off, you have a question, we could relay to the campaign, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to it at dollamore.com. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next time. For Brittany Page, Drew Levine. Hello. <laughs> Laura Oman and Harley Ruda. I am Jesse Dolamore, and this has been I Doubt it.